Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're going to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. Okay. Okay. Explain to me your feelings. (laughs) (laughs) My throat is closing up already. Fuck. Oh, yay. Allergic reactions. (laughs) (laughs) More like, more like tears. Aw. Did you, did you have actual tears? I did actually like Aww. they actually started spilling out because like I read the whole thing. I like devoured it, mm-hmm. um, but I read the ending and I was like shocked. And then I read the ending again. And then that's when the tears started. Oh, like shit, man. I'm like really interested to hear your thoughts because Rachel's your favorite. And this is a very emotional and character driven book. And I am excited to talk about it. Me too. And I will not uh, hold out on you. I will say this is one of my favorite Rachel books. I agree. This yeah. is, we've had a lot of kind of stinkers in the past. And this Oh boy. Is, <laughs> yeah, this is very good. Um, question, who wrote this? Okay, so in the book, it says thanks to Lisa Harkrader, but that was an accidental okay. editorial oversight. It was actually Kimberly Morris that wrote this book, who okay. we saw from Axe's book, The Arrival, where the aliens came and crashed and he met what's-her-face that he likes. Okay. Yeah. I had maybe thought it was Applegate that wrote this, because I know she came back towards the end of the series to write. Um... Yes, she does, but she did not write this book. But Okay. Well, it was well very good. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well done, uh, Kimberly, was it? Yeah, Kimberly okay. Morris. Well done. Very well done. Very, It kind of sucks well that she didn't get credit, though, that Lisa Harkrader got credit instead. <laughs> yeah. Once they're printed, it's hard to... What's the saying? You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube? That seems accurate. Um, but we're <laughs> immortalizing it on our podcast. It was not Lisa, it was Kimberly. Yes. So, and props. God, she did so good. Like she did. Man, I feel like I the last two chapters I'm just going to have like a total word vomit. Yeah. And this is where I really like I, I'm so mad at myself pre talking about this book for not being more eloquent. So, sure. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> yeah, it's oh. I, I feel like this is one of those books that, you know, I, I couldn't have guessed it was ghostwritten because obviously the writer went back and devoured the rest of the series and just paid so much attention to detail and yeah. just knew everything inside out. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, that and it really feels like she she got what they were trying to do with the Rachel character. Like, mm-hmm. Finally, it's like, oh, she's not just, like, some, like, power-hungry, mad person. And I love how she kept 
visiting like she kept hitting these same beats throughout the book of like mm-hmm. quoting things that happened in past books and yeah oh my god i love she was just bringing up those beats right at the perfect moment and like every time that something would be going down around her and rachel would just be saying to herself like i'm not nuts i'm not wacko like it it just was killing me mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God, it was so good. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we should talk about it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, like I said, I don't have a lot of notes, so I, you know, feel free okay. to just, like, pause at any time if you're running out of air, and we can chill Oh, God. I Yeah. This is, I'm, I think this is going to be one of those, like, the, the really good Marco book where we just go in spurts where, like, I just talk forever through, like, four chapters and then all of a sudden we'll talk and t- we'll talk for like, 20 yeah. minutes. Oh, no. Because it's, I I just broke into nine pages of notes, but, like, wow part of that is it, the final two chapters are, like, half a page each because they, like, yeah. it was worth it to include a lot of the detail in there. I also have, like, a very burning question for you at the end of the book. Ooh. And I want to ask it now, but I can't. Okay. Oh, but I'm dying to know. Okay, let's start so we can get to your question. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> okay. This book opens with Rachel visiting the White House on a boring tour where some asshat, probably wearing a pin, told all the kids that the most powerful man in the world sat behind that door. And... Oof. We cut to Marco shooting her a look because, you know, the Yerks are here and, you know, all the president really means right now is nothing. So (laughs) Rachel looks out one of the windows. She sees a red tail flying overhead and knows it's Tobias. And as she watches, she hears this faint but familiar sound, the sound of Drake and fire. And a moment later, she sees Tobias crumpling out of the sky and falling towards the ground. And then an explosion rocked the entire White House and all of the doors and windows were rattling. And that's when she realized the White House is under attack. Marco said, you know what this means? Open warfare. A second later, Cassie and Jake find them. And uh, Jake orders them to split up, go to battle morphs, repeatedly implying to Rachel, don't do anything stupid. Rachel doesn't even have time to be pissed at this implication because she just has to duck into a room and start morphing Grizzly. A second later, a Secret Service man bursts into the room where she was and says, move, get out of here, we're trying to save your life. And Rachel snaps, like something inside of her just breaks in this moment. And she reaches out and tries to slash that man to the ground. Luckily for the Secret Service man, Rachel wasn't even close to done morphing. She just looked like a deranged teenager with a hormonal imbalance trying to, like, strike out and slash this guy to the ground. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it didn't work. Um, Then, a moment later, two Horkbusher come crashing through this door at the end of the hallway, startling the Secret Service agent who is expecting, like, guys in, like, I don't know, weird terrorist clothes or something. Not aliens. Rachel took his distraction to duck behind a curtain and finish her morphing to Grizzly Bear. The agent was firing on the Horkbajur, and random chairs in the hallway had managed to kind of slow them down and trip them up so they didn't get to the room as quickly. Rachel finishes her morph and just goes charging headlong into the Horkbajur. They fire on her, they hit her with their draking guns, but she doesn't even feel it. She's just so angry. She smashes into them, taking them both down. They're cutting her to ribbons with their blades, but she does not care. She is in a blind rage. Tobias, she thinks, is dead, and she was going to take down all of them by herself. 
The next thing she knows, gorilla arms kind of wrap around her and pull her away from the fight. She tries to lunge forward against them, but Marco is able to shove her aside. Cassie and Jake bolt into the room very quickly after as a tiger and a wolf, and Jake orders her to stop, which just enrages her more. Jake orders Marco, you know, go try and get the president. The Yerks are trying to load him into a helicopter. He bounds out of there. Rachel says, I'm going to go, and Jake stops her again. Marco is gone, and Jake and her are kind of facing off now. And Jake says, you're bleeding profusely. You are out of control, and you're too out of control to see that you're out of control. And Rachel just stood there breathing in the hallway and getting ready to attack Jake because she was so mad she couldn't even focus her rage on the enemy anymore. Cassie pulls their attention away before Rachel could could lunge at Jake and uh, says, Marco can't get to the president, but the helicopter isn't taking off. And Rachel just goes, all right, this is my moment, and charges through the window into the pandemonium. Rachel charges out to see the president in the middle of a game of tug-of-war, where the Secret Service men are trying to pull him onto the helicopter, and a hork has his leg and is pulling him, and there's hork all over the, the landing gear of the helicopter, just pulling it down to the ground. And Rachel watches as there's a, a hork that tries to get up into the helicopter. He does a pull-up on one of the, the landing struts, and as he goes up to get in, he's beheaded by the blades of the chopper, and his head bounces across the lawn, and Taxon, like, chase it down in this horrific, gory battle. And Rachel just goes charging through the line of hork She's spinning and swiping and bringing them down, and finally she's removed enough of them that the helicopter is able to take off. And then she's left completely alone, surrounded by all the remaining hork and Taxon, and she just flies blindly into this battle, just like spinning and slashing and like destroying everything that she can touch. And finally, she's left there in total silence, just breathing heavily, dripping blood onto the ground. And that's when Jake approaches her and he says, I ordered you out of this battle. And she goes, nobody tells me I'm out except me. I'm the only one that can take myself out. And Jake accuses her of making this into a pack instead of a team. And then he challenges her and says, you want to lead? Then you have to fight me. And Rachel drops down to the ground, charges him, which he was not expecting at all. He thought that she was going to bow to him when, when he said this. And she gets in one good blow where she knocks him aside before he's able to get his feet again and pounces on her, knocking her around. And she was losing so much blood at this point from all of her injuries and from fighting Jake that she just could feel the life draining out of her. And Marco from the sidelines is begging her, demorph, you're dying. You are dying. Don't be an idiot. And she realizes that she would rather die than lose this battle. So she stayed, blood dripping down from her muzzle, pooling around her on the ground. And then she woke up screaming, covered in sweat. It was sweat not blood. She was in her bedroom and she was screaming. Those are the opening three chapters to this book. <laughs> Holy God. <laughs> um, How crazy. <laughs> so it's like really interesting to hear that recap, um, knowing that it's a dream, because as you're reading it, you don't quite realize it. Although the Marco thing, mm-hmm. I guess, was kind of a giveaway, but I didn't catch that. Um, but like, there's just so much here. There's so much. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, like, I even came up with, like, a couple of things while you were recapping that I didn't originally write in my notes. Um, like, okay, so my first thing is that she mentions, like, really early on that she says, like, Jake and Marco 
think we should keep this a secret, but I think we should like come out into the open. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, wait, Jake and Marco are literally the only people who have revealed your your secret. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was interesting. That is interesting, especially because like a lot of this book is about like what a leader should do or like how where they should be making their decisions from. So I think that any time we see Jake kind of kind of not following his own rules is something that really sets Rachel off in this book. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Um, I also really liked, and this is something I noticed while you were recapping, was that while she's attacking the hork Marco is the one that grabs her and stops her. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just, you know, knowing that this is a dream and this is her subconscious, like, making this up, like, that's just really interesting to me. Yeah, um, and especially that he was the one that was telling her, like, don't die, don't be an idiot, demorph. And Yeah, oh, when his voice breaks, I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, shit, man. Yeah. And, like, we know it can't, she thinks Tobias is dead, so we knew that, like, it couldn't be him, but, like, it... Yeah. God, I can just hear Jeff right now in my head. <laughs> He's one Marco Rachel Shipper. Damn it, Jeff. Yeah, this is um, for you, Jeff. <laughs> this is this is all for you, Jeff. Um, yeah, no, it's it's just so interesting that he is, of course, the immediate one to step up when it could have been Cassie. Easily could have been Cassie. Maybe like it wouldn't but be as she, interesting. But she runs in with Jake, which is She's, also yeah. interesting. Yeah, she is absolutely on Jake's side. Oh, and, oh, the question later in the book. Oh, okay. <laughs> but Sorry. I alluded to earlier. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about it then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But remind me too, because I will okay. forget. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I won't forget, so. Okay, good. Good. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. The fact that, that Cassie ran in with Jake instead of Cassie being the one to stop her. I was like, <gasps> what does it mean? Yeah, what does it mean? And then, like, this be- this becomes the whole, like, what do dreams mean? But, like, this is uh, so different. Like, the- oh. yeah. Yeah. And I also <laughs> loved all of the foreshadowing that was in this dream. Mm-hmm. And all the very subtle connections to the character that shows up later in this book. Oh, my God. There was so many that, like... I caught because I knew it was coming and I'm like, ooh, this, ooh, that. Like, yeah. and, like it, the quotes too, like it starts relatively early on, not not for a few more chapters, but relatively early on that we start getting these quotes from Rachel that's like, you know it's from a past book, but like, unless you're very good at remembering that shit, which I'm not, like it, it's <laughs> like, I like when I read it, I get that sense of, oh, this is so familiar, but like, from where where but not too not familiar (laughs) (laughs) no it's like but where where have i heard this before and like it's that whole feeling that like rachel's having in this book of like why do these intrusive thoughts keep happening Uh oh oh it's so good (laughs) so good so good and like also the transition of standing there with blood dripping down from your body and then waking mm-hmm. up and you still feel the dripping, but then you realize it's sweat is like, oh my God. Have you ever woken up in a rage like that before? No, I don't think so. Rage is not my go-to emotion. 
as a person. That's good. <laughs> That's very good. Um, yeah, no, I I have. And it's like, you just feel like you just want to get up and start, like, destroying shit. Like Ron Swanson with his sleep fighting? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, but it's like, it's... Like, I got, and when she, like, wakes up screaming, and, like, you really get that feeling of that immediate energy, and that's exactly what it's like. Like, you wake up, and you're just, like, you're mad, and you want to go, but there's nothing, and then, like, you get mad because there's nowhere to direct the mad, and, like, it's it's very oh. disconcerting. Yeah, sounds like it. I actually kind of feel my inability to, like, go to rage as kind of a disadvantage, because when I do get mad, it takes me a long time to figure out why I'm mad. Because I'm so not used to processing that emotion. So it's kind of a bane in that way. But also, I guess it's good, too. I mean, it's it's probably more good than bad, right? Mm-hmm. Probably. How do mad? Yeah, that's... I feel that. I feel that way with sad. Like, I'll get, like, sad or upset. And I'm like, I don't know why. How do I fix this? Oh, what no. Is, what is my body doing? <laughs> <laughs> What is it? Uh, Tears? No, you don't cry. All right. All right. Back to the dream sequence. So, Rachel finds herself at Axe's scoop, where Marco, Tobias, and Axe were hanging out. She was looking for Cassie, who wasn't at the barn as usual, and nobody had seen her. Uh, so Rachel went out to the scoop and asked Axe if, uh, you know, if he had seen Cassie. And they all said no, but Axe asked her if there's something that she needed from Cassie specifically, or if they could assist. And Rachel wanted Cassie specifically because she wanted, like, kindness. She knew that these guys were, like, sympathetic, but they weren't kind. So instead, she just says no and throws herself down into a beanbag chair that Marco had dragged over there. Axe stared at her for a while longer. He could tell that she had something to talk about, but he let it go. And she talks a little bit about how they all kind of dismiss him as imperceptive to human emotion. But, like... Fuck! No! That was wrong. Yeah, my baby has plenty of emotions. That. Yeah, and he, he also, like, it, Rachel makes a comment, like, how he's he picks up on a lot more than they give him credit for. He just doesn't say it always. Oh. So, um, anyways, he, he lets it go. He doesn't force the issue with her. And then he starts watching what Marco's up to, and what Marco's doing is scouring the internet for alien sightings, and he's starting to find more and more cases of credible ones, including a guy that you know, was in the submarine blow up a few books ago and like, you know, on and on and on uh, until finally he finds a guy who says that he and his Yerk are part of the Yerk peace movement. And Axe comments like, wow, that's really interesting because it seems like humans are becoming more and more aware of this and that pretty soon it's going to be out in the open. And Marco points out like, oh, well, once that happens, it's going to be open warfare. And Rachel kind of does like a fist pump and like, woohoo. And the others all look at her really disapprovingly. And she gets indignant. She tries to defend herself, saying, like, well, we can't keep fighting this covert war. Look what it's doing to all of us. We are so messed up in the heads. Like, all I want is a fair fight where I can fight out in the open. And I can't do that if we keep doing this guerrilla warfare. (laughs) And she ends her rant. And she's slightly out of breath because she's gotten herself so hyped up. And the others are all staring at her with different levels of embarrassment for her. Even Tobias is staring at her looking, like, embarrassed for her. 
And Marco just kind of dismisses her and says, if open warfare did happen, we'd get pushed aside. And you know what? I'm a-okay with that. And he kind of makes some joke, like, I'm fine just, like, living my life, you know, growing up, getting a job, getting a family, having some kids, doing it all. And uh, Rachel then snaps, like, hey, you know what? We've done pretty well for people who don't know what they're doing. And the others all look at her again really strangely because they all knew what she didn't say there. And that was when Marco pointed out that this was for people that knew what they were doing and liked doing it. Rachel only commented on the fact that they didn't know what they were doing, not the fact that she did enjoy doing this sort of work. (sighs) Yeah. So then Rachel cuts to flying and scouting out somewhere where there was yerk activity and trying to detect stuff. And she's doing it with Tobias, who's circling close by, but not so close as to arouse suspicion. And Tobias asks her, are you okay? And she says, no, really angrily. And Tobias prods a little further and says, like, come on, you can talk to me. What's going on? And Rachel at first doesn't say anything. And he says, come on, like, tell me. And she goes, I don't want to put something on you that you can't handle. And Tobias is, like, a little affronted. He's like, I I can handle it. Like, I'm part of this team. Come on, you know me. So she starts complaining to him about how everybody treats her like some freak. Like, she, like she's the one that's the problem. And, you know, nobody says anything to Marco who complains all the time and bitches about being in this war and blah, blah, blah. And she even accuses him of not pulling his weight. And when Tobias says he pulls his weight, she concedes, yes, okay, he does, but he bitches all the time. And Tobias points out, like, hey, we all know where Marco's coming from. We don't want to do this. He's saying what we're feeling. But, like, you know, we don't want to say that shit, so we accept it when Marco says it. But, like, we don't really get you, Rachel. And he kind of trails off, and Rachel goes, "Come, like, tell me. Obviously, I can handle it. And he goes, well, no one really gets where you're coming from. Nobody gets why you like this or this lifestyle. And he, after he accuses her of this huge thing, he just goes, okay, I gotta go get my dinner, and, like, peels off away from her. And Rachel just is kind of, like, letting these words, like, rattle around her head. And she starts getting angry again, going, like, how dare you think that of me? Like, I'm the one that has to get everything done. And, like, you know, I I can't believe you guys. You guys are weak or passive or a follower, you know, depending on who she's talking about. And then she starts thinking of her versus Jake. And this keeps going through her head, like... Why does Jake get to be the leader and all of this? Like, he, you know, maybe he's jealous of me. He's the worthy opponent. Maybe I should, like, you know, I need to figure this out with Jake and blah, blah, blah. And then she veers off towards this red blinking radio tower signal to try and, like, lead her way home. And tries to veer off as she gets towards home. But she can't. She's being pulled into this blinking red light. Fuck! Yeah! I just realized something! just realized that this was a foreshadowing moment yes (laughs) okay (laughs) so rachel wakes up again covered in sweat or as i wrote in my notes a nightmare within a nightmare inception (laughs) inception dream within a a nightmare squad junior (laughs) (laughs) um She woke up because her mom was pounding on her bedroom door, telling her to get up and get moving. And then her mom moved on to her sister's rooms. And so Rachel gets up, she gets dressed, she makes it downstairs, and she's kind of following her mom's chaotic wake because her mom's apparently a morning person who's, like, doing laundry, cooking breakfast, blah, blah, blah. And she can hear her mom in the basement doing laundry and, like, realizes, like, oh, great, she's left the stove on with, like, bacon and shit. (laughs) This is very dangerous. So, like, she turns down the stove. (laughs) Damn it, Naomi. 
God damn it, Naomi. What the fuck are you doing? Lawyer of the year. Um, lawyer of the year doing all this shit. <laughs> so she gets herself some juice and kind of like settles down thinking about her nightmares and how they, you know, she, it just feels like all of, they're all going to have to make some drastic decisions soon because like something really ominous is on the horizon. And she's like, we need to get help somehow. We need to figure out how to fight this war more effectively, how to leverage the military, or maybe we have to make a ton more Animorphs. And that leads her down the path of thinking about the last time they tried to create another Animorph mm -hmm. and how it had all gone horribly awry and that she had been the one that had to trap David in his rat morph to get him away from them. But how it had been Cassie's plan to trap him as a Nothlet because they thought it would be kinder than killing him. Oh my god! And in this moment, she admits that she didn't really think that was kinder. In fact, that was way worse than just killing him. And like... She talks a little bit about how earlier in in the war, before it had gotten this bad, how that was something they had done to avoid having to get direct murder on their hands, and how like now things were different. Um, I'm just realizing and, more and more things as you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Yeah, this is such a good book. <laughs> oh, it just keeps giving and giving. It does. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, Rachel is snapped out of these thoughts by the literal snap of a rat trap. And she calls down to the basement like, Mom, are you okay? What was that? And her mom goes, ugh, I put down a bunch of traps because we were having a rodent problem. Rachel, can you come down here and take care of this? You know how, like, this stuff grosses <gasps> me out. Oh! Sorry, another thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shit! And... Rachel has this moment of going, like, there's no way my mom could have known what I was thinking about. But once again, it's time to call Rachel when it's the dirty work that has to be done. Nobody yes! else can stomach it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah. So she scoops up the rat with some cardboard and a broom handle and takes it out to the trash. And when she gets outside, she notices Tobias is flying overhead. And she watches as he starts to kind of circling closer to her. And she's still holding this dead rat. She's wondering if he wasn't scoping out the garbage to eat. And she talks a little bit about how things have been really rough for him lately. There'd been a drought and, like, the prey wasn't as plentiful as it was. And there was a time where he would hide from her that he would, you know, also sometimes eat roadkill or garbage and that sort of stuff. And how maybe she had to kind of be more like Tobias to accept her nature and to be more open about her nature and, like, you know, learn from his example of, of being open with her about, like, how, yeah, I do have to do this sometimes. And then she gets kind of, like, upset, angry, like she has this flare of emotion with thinking about being open. And she throws the rat in the trash and slams the lid shut. So Rachel heads to school. And she just feels like she's watching everybody there from behind this plexiglass. Like, she's so far removed. She can't even relate to these people anymore. And she sees as Chapman walks past with the soccer team and they're chit-chatting back and forth. And all she's thinking about is like, oh, are these guys controllers? Is that why he's talking to them? And by the time they reach the end of the hallway, she's just mad because she's going, look at how many opportunities we're missing to free these people, to fight the enemy. Like, how many victories have we let go because we, we keep doing this covert thing? And the next thing she knows, Jake kind of swings out of a classroom in front of her and she goes to say hi and like initiate a conversation. And he just nods at her very curtly and walks right past. 
And she goes, was that nod like a little colder than usual? Is this because of the White House incident? And then she stops herself. She goes, oh my God, that was a dream. He doesn't know anything about the White House incident. Like, this is all in my head. So she heads to the classroom trying to like calm herself down. And she sees Cassie there. And Cassie was very genuine. She offered her a smile and a hello. And like, she felt like, okay, everything with Cassie is good. So she sits down next to her. And the teacher starts this lecture it's an Edgar Allan Poe lecture about uh, the book with, you know, the heart in the floorboards. You know, the guy kills them. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. You, you see where that's coming from? Have you never heard that short story? I have not. Okay. So the, the gist of it is, it's obviously, it's Edgar Allan Poe. So like much better than this. But the gist of the story is <laughs> that there's a guy that, that murders, I don't remember if it's his wife or somebody he doesn't know, but he murders somebody and he buries them under the floorboards. And it's basically the story as it grows is just about how this person keeps thinking that they're hearing the the person that was murdered's heartbeat. And so as they oh. like, as time goes on and like the guilt eats away at them and they like are, are sitting with the fact that they murdered somebody, they keep hearing the heartbeat and the dead body and it eventually drives them mad. And they like, you know. Okay. So it's like a Lady Macbeth out damn spot type of situation i don't know what that means but i'll say yes uh there's like a scene in the play where she's trying to wash her hands of the blood and and she has this like soliloquy and she's like obviously going crazy and like washing her hands but there's no blood but she sees blood there i don't know yeah it's it's basically like that except it's the heartbeat that like eventually like the the guy keeps hearing the heartbeat and that's what drives him yeah same sort of scenario yeah fun so yeah So that's what the teacher is lecturing on. And Rachel is trying to focus, but there's this red glow behind the board. And she she realizes she can't really see the board because of this glow. So she, like, just rests her head against the wall. And as she has her head resting against the plaster, she can hear the scrabbling behind the wall, like like rat claws. And she goes, okay, this is in my head. Um, until she starts hearing, like, no, no, no. And then the teacher interrupts. And asks if she's feeling okay, and she realizes she's sitting at her desk with her hand covering part of her face, like somebody who is really in pain or about to be sick. And she goes, I'm fine, I'm fine. But the teacher goes, you know what, go out into the hall anyways, get some water, get out of here. And as she gets up to leave, Cassie gives her this concerned look, and she just gives this little shake of her head, like, no, 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 I'm okay, I'm just gonna go. And she leaves. And in the hallway, she gets some water, and then hears right behind her this voice saying, Why do you care what Jake thinks? A leader learns to live without approval. And she spins around, but there's no one there. So she's like, I got to get out of here. I can't, I just can't be here right now. This isn't the place for me. So she scribbles a quick note to Cassie saying, meet me at the barn after school, shoves it in the locker and leaves. I'm going slightly mad. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely those vibes. So Rachel goes shopping for a few hours until she feels almost normal again. And maybe even a little bit silly because, like, you know, what was all of this anyways? Like, hearing, you know, rats scrabbling, it's no big deal. So after she shops and feels kind of okay, she starts heading to the barn to meet Cassie. But as she approaches the barn, she hears this scream and Cassie comes running out with, like, 200 rats trailing her and biting her and ripping her flesh off. She mentions that Cassie's face was literally being torn off. Ew. So, I know! Some willing <laughs> shit. It's, it's fucked. 
So Rachel tries to think quickly, like what morph can I can I use to help me get Cassie, you know, out of here, get the rats off of her, and she just goes grizzly. She's like, I, I don't know, this this one will hopefully work. And um, as soon as she starts morphing, the bushes behind her kind of start to like move, and then there's hundreds of rats coming after her and biting at her and crawling up her, and she screams, "Get to the pond!" And they both run towards it. They jump in and Rachel is underwater holding her breath for as long as she can, which luckily is much longer than what a rat can do. So some of the rats had let go immediately. Others had drowned and fallen off her and a lot of them had drowned inside of her clothes and she could feel like their dead weight inside of her jacket as she was trying to swim. (laughs) So visceral. So she breaks the surface of the pond to breathe and then gets pulled down again under the water, down into this dark, dim bottom of the pond where she kind of blacks out for a bit. And then when she wakes up, she was like in some sort of cave or cavern inside of a box where she was crouched down kind of in like the fetal position. And it's really tight. And she's listening for a minute to try and discern like, what's around me? Where can I figure out where I am? And she realizes like, oh, it smells really dank and rotten and there's dripping water. And she goes, okay, I'm in a sewer. And then she tries to kind of stretch out or move and she can't stand or, or stretch out properly. She can't, she can't even really turn her head to look up. Um, so she's thinking about going grizzly, but she goes, well, I don't know if I can do that without dying and like, you know, crushing myself in the box. And so she goes, okay, I'll go insect and like go out of one of the air holes And then she realizes that there's a coating of powder on the floor. So she kind of touches it and smells it and realizes, oh, this is insecticide. So somebody really thought this through. And she's looking around as best she can. And she's like, maybe the Yerks got me? And then she goes, well, no, something's telling me that's not right. It's not the Yerks. Anything you want to say before we get to our... Oh, let's see. I'm, like, really surprised that Rachel can still find joy in shopping. You know, she says she went shopping and and she felt normal again. Okay, but I'm thinking back to, like, Jake's last book where, I mean, he had to do chores, but he had that mindset of, like, nothing I do as a normal kid matters anymore because we're all fucked. And I mm-hmm. I guess I kind of thought that would extend to some of the other kids. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really think about that. Like, it makes sense that it would, that the other kids would be feeling that as well. But, like, I feel like it says something else about Rachel that she can still kind of... Compartmentalize ha- yeah, compartmentalize that. Yeah. Also, I was annoyed, um, like, you know, way back in in a few chapters ago, um, she was mm-hmm. talking about how, like, she had to, she was the one who had to sit with David, and, you know, she was the only one to be able to stomach it. And I was like, um, yeah. but Axe stayed with you, too. And then she, you know, she goes on to mention that, and then she goes like, oh, yeah. but he only stayed with me to keep time. And I'm like, I don't think that's true, necessarily. Yeah, I, yeah. (laughs) But I think that also kind of says a lot, and I'll bring it up again after we're done recapping, but, like, there's a lot of shade thrown at Axe in this book, and I personally am offended by it. There, it's so weird, because there is some shade thrown at Axe, and then she also admits that, like, he's way more emotionally intelligent than anybody gives him credit for. So it's like, we have both ends of this, there's a lot more shade, like, if it's a scale... The shade is towards the ground, and the the compliments are the lighter end. But, like, she does also give him, like, a lot of credit that we don't see from other people, except for yeah. Tobias, maybe? Yeah. <sighs> All right. 
Shall we get to the fuckery of the book? Yeah, this is the fucky part of the book. Oh my god, this is the, the rest of the book is... Okay. Yeah, it, it, this is where it ramps up. So the next thing that Rachel hears is footsteps coming down this ladder that's on the side of the sewer cavern. But they weren't city workers that were coming down. They were these gross punk dudes. This one tall, greasy guy with a rat tattoo on his cheek. <laughs> you know those two dudes from Hocus Pocus? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can yeah. fucking picture. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Ice. My name's Ice. Oh my god. Anyway, that's my headcanon. Nice. Um yeah, they're they're just these gross punk dudes on this tall greasy guy with a rat tattoo on his cheek, and the other one was this fat dude with a psychedelic t shirt and a really thin ponytail. And uh, they approached Rachel, looking around, and she goes, okay, these guys are kind of unsure, so this isn't their plan. They're not the masterminds here. And so she, her, her head is kind of reeling, because she's, like, trying to figure out who's going on, who's behind this, what is going on. And um, then one of them produces a rat from their pocket and places it in front of her on the other side of the clear cube wall. And it looks up at her face, and Rachel is just thinking, of course. Of course. Like, this is, yeah. Got it. Of course. There was enough and, uh, foreshadowing. Yeah. She was like, oh, okay, put it together. Of course it's him. And there's these echoes of when they trapped David playing through her head of him begging to like let him go and then him threatening and begging. And finally he goes, hello, Rachel. Surprised to see me? And Rachel goes, no. And she's answering completely honestly. She's not at all surprised to see him. Yeah. And then he's I've like. I've only been thinking about rats for the past like 24 hours. <laughs> right. I've done nothing but contemplate you for the past 24 hours, actually. <laughs> um, and then he goes, are you scared? Rachel goes, no. And he goes, well, there's still time. <laughs> <laughs> and then he watches as Rachel shifted, trying to get comfortable in this cube because her like limbs were starting to fall asleep and her back was starting to hurt. And after a moment, he goes, you won't wake up this time. This one isn't a dream. <laughs> Which is the creepiest fucking thing. Yeah. So David runs around this box checking for weaknesses, and he doesn't find any. And he goes and says to Rachel, would you like to hear about what happened to me after you left me on the island? And Rachel goes, of course I don't want to, but she stays quiet. She doesn't say that out loud to him. Because he's going to tell me anyway. Because he's going to tell me anyways. Because he's a piece of shit. God, he's such a piece of shit. So anyways, (laughs) he proceeds to say, like, every day living as a rat was worse than dying. A dissertation by David. (laughs) Yeah, fucking villain monologue for the next, like, three chapters. He, the, the greatest moment of justice in this book, I can't even say it, it's a spoiler. I'll point it out. Don't worry. (sighs) Anyways, yeah, he, he basically just goes on this like, egomaniac rant, where he's like, every day I did things that humiliated me and disgusted me, things that no person could ever contemplate doing just to survive, but, like, also I developed this supernatural level of intelligence. And then he starts, like, spinning around in really tight circles very quickly as he's talking about his supernatural intelligence. And it just adds to this whole, like, He's out of his mind Mm -hmm. and like it can't even control his body. Can't control. Like he is just, he's insane. Totally gone. So he continues on 
Eventually, this group of scientists found their way out to the island to study a bird who, like, you know, the bird was useless, tasty eggs, blah, blah, blah. And then he starts telling her that, like, you know, there was a few rats that were really intelligent. So I, like, I groomed the super intelligent rats to listen to me and to follow simple orders. And, like, they would bring me food. And I was living like a king. And these were my lieutenants. And he snuck out on the <laughs> on the boat. Like, yeah. Pinky Fucking on the brain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just trying to inject some humor. <laughs> but David is insane so which one is he he's he's both of them he's all i mean i don't want to insult pinky by comparing him to david (laughs) Uh. yikes yeah uh so he goes on this whole thing about how he got the rats onto the boat they snuck off the island with him he spent some time back on the mainland stealing money to pay his human lackeys the greasy idiots behind him and insists that he somehow stole two hundred and twelve thousand dollars by like breaking into banks and taking it dollar bill at a time (laughs) whatever david whatever whatever uh, and then he, he got more rat followers, as well as these greasy nincompoops on the mainland. And then he uh, he's just going on. So Rachel goes, okay, like, what the fuck do you actually want, though? And David goes, I want justice. I'm going to trap you as a rat. Rachel points out that this is actually revenge and not justice. And David tells her, that's what all criminals say in the end. Which <laughs> makes no sense to me, but whatever. Huh? Um, And this is when Rachel starts hitting those beats of thinking, I am not a nut. I am not wacko. Like, I'm not a criminal. She's, like, every time, like, one of these accusations is leveled at her, it's this heartbreaking mix of, like, she won't fight it. She just keeps thinking in her own head, like, I am not, yeah, denying it. So David proceeds to tell her that his henchman... uh, or proceeds to tell his henchman his side of the story because basically Rachel was like, you're out of your fucking mind. Like, I'm not, I'm not insane. I'm not the bad guy. And David says she's a criminal. And it's kind of hard to, like, level accusations against, like, a small, like, nice girl in, in a box when you're a rat. So, like, <laughs> David pleads his preposterous. case. This whole thing is preposterous. And, like, David is doing the most, like, theatrical like throwing his rat body onto its back and like squirming and like putting a little rat paw up to his face like and like wiping away tears like this whole scene is just david is fucking insane yeah so he proceeds to tell his henchman like his side of the story like Everything was taken from me my parents were taken from me my life and then these hooligans press ganged me into this band of kids telling me I had to fight aliens and then you know what like when when I finally stood up for myself just a little bit they were all super mean to me and Rachel put a fork to my head and said that I she was gonna kill my whole family and how dare they and the whole time Rachel is listening to the spiel going like we we did this to help you and she's not saying it out loud which is it adds this kind of desperation because you know exactly where Rachel's coming from. We were in her head mm-hmm. when this happened. Yeah. So it's 
oh my god, it, it's heartbreaking, this desperation where she's like, we did this to help you. We were trying to help you. Yeah. We were trying to do this, and you did, like, you were the one that kept screwing with us. Like, what are you saying? Yeah, like, trying to, you know, blame him, but also knowing that, like, she blames herself. And she blames yeah. the Animorphs for this as well. Yeah. So it's like this kind of three-tiered thing for me where, like, I'm hearing David say this, and I want to argue. And the fact that Rachel's not arguing, I'm like, I feel that kind of, like, anxiety of, like, no, I I have to tell you the truth. And then, like, also the fact that Rachel blames herself, it's this third tier of, like, it's not your fault. Like, let me tell you how, like, you know, you, in the moment, this is why it had to happen. Like, like, you know. There's no clear-cut right answer, and we all know Rachel hates it when that happens. So it's Mm -hmm. just, like, you know, I was starting to liken this to um, Tobias getting tortured by Taylor. Yes, yes, me too. And especially because I was thinking about how uh, Tobias and Rachel are the only ones that have that kind of, well, that's not true, Jake does too, but they they have that enemy that is their enemy mm-hmm. that like, yeah, it's a threat to the Animorphs, but it's their like direct um, yin and yang, whatever you call that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, adversary. so... Yes, their main adversary. That's that's the correct word that I was looking for. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Tobias with Taylor, Rachel, and David. Like it, it totally felt like this is Rachel's own reckoning with her mortal enemy, and like it, it played very differently than than Tobias and Taylor. But it had those same sort of feelings of yeah. bringing up the massive like emotion and the deepest like scars emotional scars that they have yeah and then like later on it gets even more similar uh-huh. i think but we'll bring that i up agree yeah so uh yeah okay so rachel is fighting away all of these intrusive thoughts things like how there's something dark inside of her and it's all of these quotes that are kind of popping up to her saying like there's there's a darkness inside of you there's you know there's something that's really dangerous about you and it's what makes you brave but it's also what makes you very dangerous and what would she do when it all ends someday and Rachel just keeps fighting these intrusive thoughts with I'm not a nut I'm not insane how and then she like spirals into this how can the Animorphs blame me like we're, we're all to blame we all took a part of this it wasn't just me that decided to trap David as a rat it wasn't even my plan I just had to do the dirty work uh-huh. And uh, Rachel tries to reason, like, you know, Jake said, take care of it. And, like, that, you know, that that must mean whatever it takes, right? And then she has this another really intrusive thought where it goes, everybody draws their own line. And that's when she realizes Jake hadn't told her what to do or what not to do. Yeah. She took the, the actions that she thought needed to be taken based off of Jake's vague order to take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and fucking Jake kept it vague on purpose, knowing yeah, so that he could have knowing that her line was very different from his. And oh my god, so mm-hmm. fucking fucked. Yeah, which is interesting to see here because Jake didn't do that with Axe mm-hmm. when Axe in the when he was gonna go bomb the Yerk Pool, nuke the Yerk Pool. So that's interesting. <laughs> I'm feeling things. It's all very difficult. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, so Rachel's already having her own spiral in her own head. And uh, David basically says now at this point, morph rat. And then his goons pull a gun on her. And in the next moment, David goes, oh, so it's all Jake's fault. And Rachel jerks up and hits her head on the top of the cube and goes, how had he known what I was thinking about Jake and like his orders? And then she realizes like, well, I can't let on that he that he had gotten to me at all. So she she kind of musters whatever she has left and starts saying to him, like, you can't outthink me. This isn't going to work. Like, it's just you can't make me do this. I, I'll die. You know, that's fine. And so he starts putting on this like sick sob show where he was he starts like wiping at his eyes with his little paws and like you know saying like how poor me poor david blah blah and rachel actually kind of starts falling for she starts feeling a little bad for him because he goes from looking like this manic rat to like a Stuart little and she's kind of having these feelings like okay well i i do kind of see where he's coming from where you know it, we can't all be good and so she kind of she goes david like really softly like Maybe we can talk this out and then, like, you know, he goes, then he, like, just kind of brings it all together in this, like, psychopathic, like, switch on off. And he goes, well, you might choose to die rather than be trapped as a rat, but, like, that's too easy. So it's not your life that you're wasting. And then across the room, this red glow and a very similar box to her own appears, but with no air holes in it and Cassie's inside. And Rachel immediately goes, I can't fucking believe I ever felt sorry for this piece of shit. And she gets this pure hatred coursing through her. And she goes, if I'm ever given the chance again, I won't hesitate to kill him this time. And that's when David starts going, it's Cassie's life that's at, that's at risk. If you don't morph now and stay as a rat, she's going to run out of air and suffocate in that cube. And then the greasy fucking asshat goons walk over there and start mocking Cassie, who's just screaming through this box. And Rachel can't really hear her, but she's kind of reading her lips. And Cassie is just screaming, don't morph, do not morph, don't do it. And Rachel weighs her options and then starts morphing to rat and has the most disgusting morphing transition I think we've almost ever seen on the way. Like... Shit, like, her head starts shrinking, but her eyes stay the same size, mm-hmm. almost to the point where they're going to burst. And then, like, at the last minute, her eyes kind of pop into place. And, like, her limbs very grotesquely morph, even worse than usual. And, like, she loses the front limbs first, so she kind of, like, has to slump over. And, like, it's just disgusting and takes an extraordinarily long amount of time because she's so distracted. Um, but once she makes it to Rat, one of the greaser fuckheads sets an alarm outside the cube, and David tells her, two hours, that's all it takes, and we'll be rats together forever. Okay, so I have two points. Yes. Um, one, I wonder if there's ever been kind of a morphing accident where, like, I don't know, like, something Like, the out. eyes actually burst? Yeah, yeah, or, like, fell out or something. I mean, I'd have to guess every once in a while, right? Yeah. It's like splinching in Harry Potter. Um, yeah well even the shit like um again in the in the other david books like when they were morphing and their bones would like come out of the end of their limbs yeah and then, like, get covered yeah yeah oh god mm-hmm. um the other thing is and and i think this will contribute to the conversation we'll have after the recap is that it's really interesting that cassie was the one that david took and not tobias oh i think that's so <sighs> It's totally explained, though, right? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, just at, at this point from 
I don't know, from, like, a choice perspective. That's true. And, like, oh. Because, like, you would think it would be Tobias because because of, like, Because her... that's who he hates. And her dream from when Tobias was the one that was shot down. And that's what made her fly into a rage and kill everyone, like Fluffer McKitty. That and the fact that David has absolutely no qualms killing Tobias because he doesn't see him as human. Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of reasons why it should have been Tobias, huh? Yeah. But I liked that it was Cassie. Not because I think Rachel's reaction would have been different. Yeah. Um, But because Cassie's reaction was different. And I think that's what helps make this situation as disgusting and horrific as it was. Because, like, Tobias would have taken a lot more without the reaction like he would have just been quiet in that cage whereas cassie's like you know pounding on it and screaming don't morph don't morph like you know she has that emotional side to her whereas tobias would have been quietly talking to her staying like yeah. still yeah that's yeah. true that's true anyway anyway I'm sorry so excited <laughs> to talk about this at the end oh my god oh my god me too okay so rachel is a rat now And she's kind of letting her curiosity take over. She's sniffing around the box, trying to, you know, see if there's a way out, maybe that the rat can find. And David starts mocking her, saying, do you really think I could make, I would make a prison that you could escape from? That would be stupid. So no. And then uh, he asks her if she's hungry. And then he answers himself. He goes, oh, of course you're hungry. Rats are always hungry, you know. And then he has the one of the greaser fuckheads po- poke this moldy, stinking, rotting food through the air holes. And he starts going, mold's not so bad once you get used to it. <laughs> fucking hate him. If you can't tell, <laughs> I really fucking hate him. <sighs> oh, shit. Anyways, he starts talking himself up, saying, like, you know, rats are fine eating moldy food. Of course, not me, as he's served a baguette and, like, you know, grapes. And he starts going, you I've, of course. campy ass villain. Fuck him. I fucking hate him. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Bringing it back. Bringing it back. Whew, chilling. Okay. So he starts talking himself up, saying, like, of course I've risen above my station, and then goes, I've become the big cheese. Oh, my Get God. It? Fuck ha, off. Ha, ha. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, God. Even in my notes, I'm like, I literally wrote, he had a baguette and grapes because he's so smart. <laughs> he has become so great, but he wants to rule because he's uncomfortable going places where people don't like him. So instead, he's going to take over the world. So he's welcome <laughs> everywhere. That's not how it fucking works, you psycho fuck. <laughs> You're getting so mad. <laughs> I just hate him. Like, uh, like... Oh, sorry. I don't have to justify why I hate him because you can see from all of the evidence he's the worst human, rat, and I fucking hate him. Oh my god. Anyways. Sorry. It is okay. I also hate him. Good. (laughs) So... Rachel basically says, like, I wouldn't know anything about going places where people hated me. That's not my MO. And David's like, are you sure? Because, like, the Animorphs hate you. And uh, maybe not so blatantly, but they they will be relieved when you're gone. Like, you know, your crazy war fighting self is, like, kind of like, you know, if you're a rat, out of their way. And then they won't have to worry about you and, and you're, like 
crazy Rachel tendencies anymore. And Rachel has that moment of self-doubt where she looks at Cassie and the other cube and Cassie's become kind of silent at this point. And the, David did open like an air hole. So she's breathing easier. But Rachel goes, but will she literally be breathing easier when I'm gone? Because she doesn't have to deal with me anymore and this anger and this warmongering. Like, it, are they going to be relieved because oh. they don't have to worry about me? Oh, no. Yeah. I don't um, like this. I don't like it either. And the whole time that Rachel's going through this, David's prattling on about God knows what. Uh, but then finally he goes, well, I'm going to rule the world. And Rachel, despite herself, goes, how? How the fuck are you going to rule the world, you piece of shit? And he's like, my grand plan? Remember in middle school history where we learned about the bubonic plague? We're going to sneak into a lab, grab the plague, take the plague with us, spread the plague, and then profit? And Rachel's like, <laughs> you're fucking nuts, dude. <laughs> I mean, she acknowledges that this plan might work. Releasing the bubonic plague is not good. Um, but honestly, he's insane. And then she's like, you'll kill everybody. And David's like, I'll only kill half the people and then I'll rule the rest. I fucking hate him. You have so much. I, I don't know how the, the bubonic plague is transmitted, but like you cannot control a plague as evidenced by modern day times. Like shit yeah you can only do so yeah. much also the other thing he says is like once the plague runs its course and half the people die we'll just rule the others by like whoever survives we'll rule it by threatening to do the plague again and it's like <laughs> you stupid fuck yeah exactly you stupid fuck like that's not <laughs> how it would really work but okay sure uh <sighs> I mean, based um, on what's going to happen, like, very soon, I'm taking all of this with a grain of salt in this recap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We might not have spoken about the plague with as much knowledge um, a few weeks ago, but now I feel relatively confident speaking about the plague yeah. and how it's going to destroy the world. I mean, it wouldn't, right? At the end of the day, it wouldn't. The We had the bubonic plague yeah. recently and it was contained very quickly with the technologies we have and the medicines we have it it wouldn't be great and especially if he was like spreading it quickly but again like it's going to be concentrated to one area he's a rat yeah like, okay anyways david's plan is stupid and i hate him <laughs> to summarize to summarize this last chapter okay here is the next chapter where everything hits the next level of fucking crazy. Yeah. So David continues on with this speech and then starts doing that thing, that Star Wars thing now, and we can say that the last movie's come out, where he's like, come with me and we'll rule together. Humanity will bow to us. And then he points out, like, maybe we couldn't drive a Ferrari or eat at Le Cirque, but we would have everything we needed and everybody would bow to us. And Rachel does this amazing thing that I appreciate and relate to so much where she ignores the broad message that he just said about <laughs> ruling the world. And she's just like sitting in the cube like, Le Cirque? That's a fucking weird choice. He's like, this kid lived on like takeout burgers. What the fuck? How does he even know what Le Cirque is? <laughs> she just fixates on that one thing. She does. And she was like, fuck everything else. Like, what the fuck is he saying? <laughs> uh, 
So he continues on. We could rule the world together and take down Jake because a real leader doesn't question themselves and blah, 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 blah. And Rachel just finds herself kind of lost in the monotony of his tone. Like she's not even listening to the words he's saying. She's listening to the tone. And eventually she just finds herself saying like, yeah, agreeing to whatever he says. And then there's this high pitched laughing that broke her out of this spell. And her brain starts kicking into overdrive. And she starts thinking like, wait a minute. He's ruling with rats that are listening to hit. Rats don't follow orders. They're not that. What is happening? None of this is right. And then she starts saying like, no, rats don't take orders. Everything you're saying is a lie. And this is inaccurate. What the fuck is going on here? And David starts saying like, no, in this like whiny, tiny voice. And like, she reiterated like, you can talk to me. You can talk to these greasy idiots. You can talk to people, but you can't talk to rats. And they're not going to take orders from you. This is insane. You don't have an army. You have nothing but these two idiots. The lake thing didn't happen. This must not be real. And then things just seemingly broke. And Cassie turns from Cassie and does this terrible morphing into the drode, a very amused drode. And Rachel realizes that she was not dealing with David's plan, but Cryak's plan. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. All the red fucking, yeah. You know, I didn't get the radio tower thing until the recap. But yeah. 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 Fucking hell. Okay, so Rachel goes, Cryak! And Drode goes, Did you need us? Because Shut up, Drode. <laughs> yeah. Um, the world just starts shifting and twisting until Cryak was in front of them, and David is like squirming and crying and on his back and flopping his tail, and Cryak's like, David, it's time to tell Rachel what's happening. That's the deal. And he's like, no, it's still, I won't, I'm so smart. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) fucking hate him. (laughs) And the Cryak's like, well, we said the deal was if Rachel figured out something was afoot before the two hour limit, then you lost. And she figured it out. And David's like, fine, nobody came to the island. The island was the worst. It was miserable, and I had to live there and eat garbage, and it was horrible, and nobody talks to me. And Crack's like, I told you to tell her what happened, not to bitch, David. <laughs> Agree. Agreed. This is the best moment of justice for me in the book when Crack was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Sorry. For one time we'll this side with Crack. This is the one time I am 1,000% on Cryak's side. I'm like, yes, tell David to shut his fucking mouth. (laughs) Sorry, that got very loud. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, basically what happened was Cryak promised him a companion if he could fool someone into becoming a Nothlet like he was. And David originally was like, I wanted Cassie because she was nice to me. But then I realized that I couldn't have Cassie because she was nice to me. And at this point, Rachel's like, well, fuck all of you. None of this is real. Everybody's insane. Rats don't talk. I'm out. This is a dream. Goodbye. I don't give a shit anymore. And uh, David's like, no, I'm really here. And Crack's like, I'm really here. And then Crack <laughs> goes, like, I can offer you a lot more. And Rachel's like, what do you mean you can offer me more? And then this moment later, she was her human self again. And Cryak was suddenly across the room for her, from her, but reaching out. And, like, she reached back, and the space between them 
just shrunk almost instantaneously. And she realized it was because she had grown huge. Her body was this huge muscled weapon. And Craig was saying, this could be yours. Can you feel how powerful you are? And she could. She was like flexing her hands and felt like her muscles were just like sparking with energy. She fucking turned and into Wolverine. <laughs> she turned into Wolverine. She curls her fingers and steel claws slid out. And then she shrunk back to her normal size and Craig goes, here, catch. And procures a giant steel cube from thin air and tosses it at her. And Rachel's body responds instantaneously, her hands turning into like a steel-like substance, grabbing the cube, grabbing it like it was nothing to her, even though it could crush her easily. And she just kind of drops it to the ground, and everybody's kind of looking at her surprised, even the drode. And that's when Rachel kind of, like, clicks her jaws and realizes she has these, like, steel fangs. And she turns her attention to the drode and pounces. And that's Bye. why the cover of this book has Wolverine Rachel on it. Oh, my God. I love that it was foreshadowed in her dream when she was half Yes. Grizzly. I loved that so much. <sighs> Oh my god. I was getting so when that first happened in her dream, I thought that was going to mm-hmm. be the only time we saw it and that the cover was just going to be like basically clickbait. <laughs> Cuz like I've been like really thinking about that cover for a long time. Like what the fuck is happening? Like is she going to have another morphing problem where she just, is just a scary giant woman? But yeah, it was it was great. I'm glad that you thought it was great cuz like it, just to the kimono a little bit <laughs> you've been sitting on this book cover for six weeks a, a month yeah six weeks yeah okay. it's been six weeks since we last recorded i think other than <laughs> it's been the worst other... alex <laughs> yeah this has been a really long time that you've been thinking about this yeah. so what give me some more details on thoughts that you were thinking before you read the book i mean i was thinking it was going to be another morph mishap i was thinking rachel it was going to have something to do with her her rage and her her breaking basically and like maybe she like broke her morphing ability and like turned into this scary wolverine woman um Mm -hmm. and i also thought that the book was going to be a lot worse than it turned out to be i thought it was going to be like another like oh well that was dumb you know especially when we saw the thing in the beginning and i thought that was going to be the only instance of us seeing this um so mm-hmm. i thought it was just going to end up being a disappointment but it wasn't it was all good yeah. in the end and terrible yeah so i mean i think it's it's very easy especially based off of the other rachel books that we've read helmicrons mm-hmm. to think like oh this is just a bullshit book but well and, yeah because like before you know, we've seen covers where they turn into different animals, but they're only that animal for, like, one scene, and it's not really that significant. Right. I mean, usually they don't do that, but occasionally we've had that. So I thought it was going to be another thing Jake like that. Jake and Beavers. Jake yeah. and Beavers. I mean, the Beavers were important, kind of, but that book had other problems. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm I'm glad you got to sit with it for so long and really come to terms with this cover before reading. I I was also dying to read it, but only because I, I really do enjoy this book. It's a so lot. good. It's so good. It's so good. Oh man. Okay, so Rachel pounced on the drode, tore his head from his body, and then she understood what Cryak was trying to show her. 
And it was this sense of freedom because she was powerful enough to do what she wanted and live by her own rules. And so she started screaming that, like, she was free. This is it. She's free. And Cryak goes, not so fast. You still think this is an illusion, right? And then a second later, the Droad's head started laughing in her palm. Gross. And she was so frustrated that, that this was another illusion that she took the Droad's head and threw it at Cryak. <laughs> you simply, like... I loved this. <laughs> he simply disappeared and then reappeared next to her and then chided her for looking so silly in front of her inferiors, meaning David. And David goes, I'm not inferior. I just wasn't as lucky as her. Fuck off. And Cryak, right? And Cryak goes, oh, yeah, David, maybe that's it. Maybe I'm wasting my time and energy. And in the next second, Rachel's again a rat. But this time she and David are in the box. And Rachel's wondering, like, who could save her? Who could do this? How am I going to get out of this? Knowing it wasn't the Animorphs, the Elemis weren't coming for her. Something was echoing in her head as she thought about how nobody was coming to get her. And it was just this quote of, if you ever find yourself desperate, Rachel. So she's scratching at the side of the cube, trying to get out of there, and remembering something that the Drode had told her a long time ago, saying, your cousin's life is the passport to your salvation. And David starts talking to her while she's scratching at the side of the cube, to, you know, saying, oh, this is hilarious. I knew that this would happen. Blah, 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 blah. He's so obnoxious going from like, oh, I'm an evil mastermind to a whiny bitch. Yeah. Yes. So repulsive. I hate him. That's yeah. And it's not only repulsive because of the way he acts, it's like repulsive because he's such like a shysty character that he can't even like. Yeah. He's so dishonorable. Yeah. I just. <laughs> fucking hate him anyways (laughs) (laughs) so uh basically david's like i knew that they would find you lacking and that you'd be stuck in here with me you're no better than me and uh it's awful i hate it so much so rachel also kept telling him to shut up shut the fuck up and he wouldn't of course because it's david so rachel attacks him and very quickly david overpowered her because he is experienced in this morph his teeth are sharpened from from however long living in the wild and he is just like overpowering her instantaneously She was struggling to fight him, but he had her pinned and she's like scratching, trying to get out of there. And then suddenly she's outside of the cube and she's super Rachel again and she's writhing on the sewer floor and Cryak goes, oh, is that how a leader is supposed to act? And she sprung up ready to fight. And she saw the goons that were going up the staircase trying to escape from this wacky fucking thing that's happening. And she just reached up to the top of the ladder and pulled it away from the wall like it was made of balsa wood. And the goons started falling, and Cryak made a net to catch them, and then, like, tipped them out and dumped them onto the floor so they didn't die, I guess. <laughs> and then Cryak offers her all of this power, like, everything that you're feeling, all of it. You could have it. You would be invincible to bullets. Draken beams would do nothing but warm your skin. You would be all-powerful. And Rachel's like, and I could fight the Yerks? And Cryak said, I would create you, and the rest is up to you if you want to fight the Yerks. Go for it. If you want to fight with the Yerks, go for it. I don't give a fuck. And um, in the next moment, she's back in the cube again with David tearing at her throat. Uh, She feels the skin of her neck peel away. And that's what enables her to get away from him, was that skin coming loose. And she bolts. And he's chasing her around the cube, screaming, 
Don't worry, you won't have power. You're not going to be strong. You won't have any friends, but you will have me. Oh my god! And the drode is laughing hysterically in the background. So yes. this is where it got very similar to Tobias's torture. Was like get that whole like yo-yo effect of like giving her something that she's like craving, and then like taking it away and yeah. putting her in this horrible situation where she's powerless, and just like doing that back and forth. Yeah, ah! absolutely. Yep. And because Rachel read our minds in this moment, the next thing she does is scream, quit the yo-yo effect. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, it it definitely felt really similar to Tobias's torture in here, as well as the introspection, too, because, like, she's having all of these, like, very disconcerting internal yo-yo effects where she likes the power, but she, you know, she's been struggling this whole book with, I'm not crazy. I'm not mm-hmm. power hungry. Like what, you know, yeah. so it's, it's a lot of introspection too, that kind of comes up more prominently in a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so once she screamed, quit the yo-yo effect, I get it. She kind of composed herself for a moment and she goes, okay, Cryak, like, what do you, why? Why are you doing this to me? What do you want from me? And Cryak goes, how could you think I would want anything? And Rachel <laughs> takes this deep breath and goes, what are you going to make me do in exchange for this power? And Cryak goes, oh, that's much better. Yes. Don't let your emotions get in the way. Like, think about it logically. And he goes, Honestly, like, for all this power, of course I'm going to want, like, one little thing in return. And then he tells her, kill Jake. And Rachel goes, no. Straight up, no. Right away. No hesitation. No thinking about it. No. And Cryak starts playing, like, oh, it's that one life versus the many. Think about how many you could save. How can you say no to this deal? And Rachel's just like, no. And Cryak's like, I just I just want revenge for losing my howlers. Like, they, I loved them so much. <laughs> They were my children. (laughs) They were my children. And then he's like, and you could save all of Earth. And Rachel just goes, I will not kill Jake. And she starts saying, I'm one of the good guys. And Cryak and the Drode both kind of like start mocking her in that moment. The Drode literally is going, I'm one of the good guys. I'm one of the good guys. Well, like jumping around her. And Cryak's like, what's good and what's bad anyways? Everything is in the middle ground. I mean, what do you mean? He's not wrong, but yeah. He's not wrong, but it's it's kind of ruined by the Drode skip singing. Yeah. I'm one of the it good guys around It loses its impact. Him. It does lose a little bit of the impact. Um... And when she admits to him that, like, I don't, I don't really know what's good and bad, like, Cassie would know. And Cryak starts mocking her, going, what would Cassie say in this scenario? And Rachel starts thinking it through, like, you know, her life versus many. She could make that choice. But Jake's life versus many, I don't know. My life versus many, I don't know. I know. I hate it. <laughs> it's like, this was the other moment I was, that we were talking about earlier, though, where, like, this I this had to be Cassie in this moment. Yeah. Because the fact that, like, right from wrong, Cassie would know exactly what to do, but I don't know what Cassie would say is, like... Oh, yeah. it's so telling. It is so telling. So, um, finally, Cryak says, good versus bad, the age-old battle. Let's settle it once and for all. And with that, Rachel finds herself in this giant stadium... And Cryak basically looses this ball that bounces to the floor. And, like, when it 
pops up, it like starts like blurp, blurp, blurping into like Visor 3. Who is Visor 1? I'm just saying Visor 3 for clarity. They do say Visor 1 in the book, but remember, he just got promoted. Yeah. I'm going to keep calling him Visor 3. He's been Visor 3 for like five eighths of this entire. That's a bad fraction, but you know what I mean. Seven eighths of this series. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to keep calling him Visor 3, but yes, Visor 1, Visor 3, and a light host. Same thing. Same guy. Same guy. New name. So Visor 3 immediately flies into this rage and charges at Rachel, who ducks his tail blade, like, crazy fast. And she's so unused to her newfound speed and power that she actually ended up, when she ducked and launched out of the way, she smashed herself into one of the arena walls, and it just crumbled down on top of her. And Visor 3 starts going, why was I brought here? Who are you? How dare you do this to me? And Cryak goes, I brought you here to fight your greatest enemy. And Visor 3 laughs, saying, Haha, well, that doesn't seem too hard. And Rachel just smiled as she stood up out of this rubble and, like, hundreds of pounds of rock and God knows what else just fell away from her like it was nothing. <laughs> and she was thinking, looks can be deceiving. So Rachel stands up from this rubble and she is towering over Visor 3, who has no idea who or even what she is. So for once he was silent. Like she mentions how if he thought she was one of the, the Andalite bandits, he would be screaming like, you know, scum and bandit and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But he doesn't even recognize her as human because she looks so insanely different and like muscular and morphed in part machinery and steel and blah, blah, blah. And um, Visor 3 laughs and says, oh, this is a trick or a hologram. So Rachel just puts her hands against his chest and shoves, and he goes flying across the stadium like a ragdoll and crashes into the far wall, which was great. I fucking love this so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Visor 3 doesn't move for a bit, and then he kind of slowly stumbles to his feet, and he's going, who brought me here? What the fuck? And Cryak is like, it is I, Cryak, I brought you here. <laughs> and Visor 3 is like, it was me. I was the cryak. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Visor 3 goes, oh, I've heard of crack. I didn't think this shit was real. And Cryak's like, obviously I'm very real. And Visor 3 is kind of like railing against him. Like, how could you? This is insane. How dare you bring me here? Blah, blah, blah. And Cryak is basically like, I'm a god. I can fuck you up. And so then, like, Visor 3 is like, oh, sorry, sir. Right. My bad. My bad. I'm so sorry. Like, bowing his head like, oh, so sorry, dude. Uh, you're, you're the god. I get it. My bad. And uh, he goes, okay, very good, Visor 3. Like, bow to me. Yes, great. So anyways, I have a deal for you. Defeat my creation and Earth belongs to you lose to my creation and you get to leave earth immediately and never come back run away and, and never return <laughs> and visitor three is basically like what no i don't wanna and craig's basically like actually cool story you have no choice fight <laughs> <laughs> which i enjoyed and drode's like let the fight begin! And Cryak says to Rachel, there you go. There. You have it your way. There are no rules but your own. This fight is your own. Have at no it. No rules, just right. No rules, just Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's new hashtag. No rules, just Rachel. So they start circling each other, and Rachel starts thinking about what's going to happen when she wins, because clearly she's set up to win. She is so overpowered. 
And she's like, what would this mean for me? It means no more wacko comments, no more lectures about restraint, no more comments about how there's something inside of me that's dark and scary. And then, whap, she was on her knees. She had been daydreaming and allowed Visor 3 to strike, and his tailblade came right at her legs, and she had fallen. His tailblade was now coming down at her throat, but she shot out of the way, stunning both of them with how fast she moved. And then Visor 3 started to morph, some giant tentacle beast of some sort. So Rachel grabs him in this kind of like bear hug and then drops him because her her chest and arms were coated in acid and it was burning her skin away. And then she notices her skin is responding to this acid. It's like getting these scales and like almost like an armor. And she goes, oh, this is kind of like alligator scales. And a second later, she was a giant alligator. It was instantaneous morphing. And she snapped off one of Visor 3's legs like it was nothing. The acid did not affect the alligator. And so he starts morphing again down to this gooey puddle. And she returns to her mega Rachel form and kind of touches the goo puddle. And it springs to life, coating her nose and mouth and suffocating her. And she's panicking and struggling. And then she goes, wow, really? I'm going to be defeated by killer Jello." cool so she then did the impossible she said she was thinking i i gotta morph something like a plant like something that doesn't need to breathe that doesn't have this sort of weakness so she conjured up this entirely made up morph of some sort of sentient plant creature that ate this goo and she like turned into this braided carnivorous flowery tree thing and extended a proboscis to like slurp up the goo. And as she was eating Visor 3, which by the way, poetic justice oh, right? considering this is... Oh. oh, I didn't even realize that. Oh, Yeah, Visor 3's prefer- preferred way to kill people by eating them. Poor ass motherfucker. <laughs> um, so anyways, he starts sliding away from her proboscis and trying to escape. And uh, eventually he just starts demorphing because he's not getting away fast enough. And Rachel pictures herself again as Mega Rachel, and in an instant she was there. And Visor 3 gallops away from her to the other end of the arena, and she just throws back her head and starts laughing because it's all of this power that she's feeling. Like, he has nowhere to go, no way to win. And Visor 3 starts pleading with Cryak, saying, This is impossible. I can't defeat this creature. It, it's There's just no way. I don't have this kind of power. And then he starts begging Crack. He's like, give me the powers. I'll do anything you want. I'll do whatever you want. Anything. Say it. I'll do it. And Rachel's like, of course that was true. That's the most Visor 3 thing I've ever fucking heard. So she approaches Visor 3, wraps her hand around his neck, and this was it. This was the moment where she would end this war. But she hesitated. And Cryak goes, finish it. And she meant to. She started going after him again. But then Visor 3 starts pleading for mercy, and Rachel hesitates. And Cryak again, goes, finish it, and says, if you don't finish it right now, I'm going to turn you back into the rat, and you're going to lose everything. So Rachel tightens her grip on Visor 3's neck and realizes that she's ready to do Cryak's bidding. Cryak then booms, yes, execute him. And Rachel pauses and goes, and then what? And suddenly her view shifted. She saw herself not from her own head where she was fighting for good and ending this war, but from the perspective of people, her friends, where they wouldn't see a kind and benevolent Rachel. They would see this 
giant, bloodthirsty, non-human monster. And they would hate her. And they would fight her. And they would think she was brutal and reckless and destroying everything. Oh my god, she would have become what she already feared she was becoming. Yes. Exactly. And she realized that they would hate her and they would fight her like how they are fighting Wizard 3. And so she says no. And she drops Wizard 3 to the ground and steps back. And Cryak loses his fucking shit. He is like, I tried to free you, and in the end, you were childish, and you were foolish, and you wasted everybody's time here. And he raged at her, and he turns her back into the rat in the cage with David, who mocked her and said, oh, of course, this is just beautiful. Cryak offers you everything, and you're still not good enough. You're still just like me. You're still the rat. And... As Cryak's raging and David's, like, you know, doing his mockery and bullshit, she's overcome by this fear. And so she kind of lets the rat mind take over. And Cryak says, you know, you have the power to rule. And Cryak goes, no, he wanted to use me to kill Jake. That's all. I I wouldn't rule. And Cryak then says, like, you know, the Elemist would never allow, you know, Jake to be killed. And Rachel goes, yeah, he would. And also, you could have offered this power to Jake, But Jake is a real leader. He would have refused it right away. And you saw that. And you know what? I'm not going to fall prey to that trap either. So Cryak tells her to go crazy as a rat. Goodbye. And like fucking nopes out of there. Rachel falls back on her mantra of I am not a nut. I am not insane. But she resisted Cryak. And in the end, when Cryak's disappeared and left her feeling like the room temperature has dropped 50 degrees and was gone, she's moments away from being a rat forever. And this was like one of the times she felt she made the right decision in this book. But she's back in this box with only moments left, and she has to think her way out of this because there's nobody coming to save her. There's no super Rachel. The Animorphs don't know where she is. Her family doesn't know where she is. She has to get out of this, and she has to do it for herself. So David starts gloating again about how she's going to be a rat with him forever. They'd be trapped together. They could get more goons to do their bidding, and that's when a light went off in Rachel's head. She calls over the two greasy asshats and says, how much is he paying you? And David goes, don't answer her. And Rachel goes, come on, how much is he paying you? And she really like, she just speaks very confidently and very intensely. And they're not really answering. And she goes, okay. So he says he has $212,000 stockpile. That's what, 106,000 each, something like that. And David screeches, no, no, you'll just confuse them. Don't say anything. They're just gonna get meaner and stupider when they're confused. And then the fat one pulls the gun out of his pocket and taps the side of the box and says, shut up, you, to David. And Rachel has about 30 seconds left on the clock. And she goes, you know, you guys can't get it as a human, but hey, I can turn into a rat. So, uh, you know, if you let me out, I'll get you the money. And they said, how do we know you won't just run away? And Rachel wants to scream because the, the timer is clicking down to nothing. But she stays really calm and she goes, well, you have to let me out of here now or else you're not going to get any money. And so one second or the deal is off and the fat one kind of hesitates and then turns towards the lock and shoots. And Rachel is launching herself out of the box, demorphing before she even hits the, the top edge of it. And as she went, the clock struck zero and she suddenly had this halting mid morph sequence where she was like half rat, half girl, hunched over, twisted limbs, like just disgusting. And David starts laughing and gloating, saying, this is better than anything I could come up with. This is the worst. You just did the worst thing. And Rachel just, right, shut the fuck up, David. (laughs) 
Rachel just closes her eyes, focuses, digs down as deep as she can to finish this morph. She's got to summon every ounce of strength she has. And there's only one thing blocking her from this. And it's her anger and her hate that she can't seem to push aside. And she didn't want to either. She holds on to that because that's where she draws some of her strength from. But she had to. So she let it go. She made it back to her body. And for just a few seconds, she felt truly free. But it didn't last. The guy looked at her, shocked, and then said, okay, now go back to Rat because you got to get some money. And Rachel goes, sure, but if it's cool with you guys, I'm going to go ahead and do one thing first. And then she goes to Grizzly Bear and just scares the crap out of these guys, sends them running. She literally charges them down, bowls them over, sends them sprawling, and then keeps chasing them out of there. And they go, like, running up the ladder. And she has this moment of elation where she's like, ha-ha, got them out of here. And then she realizes, ah, oh, shit, these guys are going to go and talk. And if they talk to a controller, then we're fucked. So Rachel turns around, springs Cassie from her cube. Cassie gets out of there, and Rachel's... Cassie says they have to get out of there. And Rachel says, yeah, but there's one thing that we have to do first, or that I have to do first. And Cassie goes really shrill and goes, what are you going to do? And Rachel goes, nothing, you know, just don't worry about it. And Cassie repeats more desperate, what are you going to do? And Rachel got really, really mad because this is exactly what she had been struggling with. She was about to do what needed to be done to protect the Animorphs. And she wouldn't shoulder the burden. So Cassie wouldn't shoulder the burden. So Rachel had to. And she had spent all this time shouldering that burden to keep her friends innocent. And looking at Cassie's face, she could see like Cassie was wise and she was intelligent, but she was still naive. And Rachel knew why. It's because she was the dark one. She was the one taking on this guilt. And they had this either symbiotic or codependent relationship where they needed her to be the bad guy so that they could be the good guys. And, you know, she had to be that bad guy. So she told Cassie, I'm going to go get David and I'm going to bring him back to the island. And Cassie very sympathetically reaches out and puts an arm on Rachel and says, I, I don't think you can do this a second time. And Rachel says, I don't know if I can either. So are you going to go do it? And Cassie just is so taken aback. She gets like really surprised, wide-eyed shock. And in this really fearful way, she, she's like, uh, uh. And Rachel goes, I didn't think so. So Rachel goes to Ratmorph, promising herself that if she ever got out of the situation, she never again would morph a rat. She's following David through the sewers. She can hear his claws scrabbling above her and around her. And suddenly the sound stopped and she goes, ah, oh, shit, I wonder if there's like a trap or something. So she doubled her speed and went after him. But when she made it up to where she had heard him, she realized that there was sunlight streaming in. So she exited the tunnel cautiously and saw David just sitting up on his haunches, enjoying the sun. And Rachel was really suspicious. And he just goes, it's not a trap. There's you know, it's nothing. I've, it's fine. I'm, I've given up. I'm ready to go. And he kind of starts saying like, this is a beautiful world. I'm, I'm really going to miss it. And Rachel goes, what's going on? And David tells her that without Kryak, without his henchmen, it's over. She had won. And Rachel started to, to demorph and said, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to take you back. And, and David goes, no, 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 that's worse. Way, way worse. No, no, no. And he kind of starts to bolt and Rachel scoops him up very easily and is holding him. And David starts going, do the right thing. Kill me. And Rachel goes, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. 
and he just goes, come on, come on, you have to, it's, it's, you can't do this anymore. This isn't, this isn't good. You have to kill me. And, and she refused. She's like, I'm one of the good guys. I don't, I don't do that. And David says, if you're one of the good guys, then do the right thing. Kill me. And Rachel pauses and she goes, promise to disappear. And David laughed at her. David's like, Cryak was right. You're an idiot. I can't go back to what I was. And then she sees something wet fall onto David's rat head. And that's when she realizes that she is crying. She felt sorry for him and sorry for herself. And she knew that left on his own, he could destroy the world with what he knew. He could go to the Yerks. He could go to any of their enemies and he could end it all for them. So Rachel says, I don't know what to do and sets him down on the ground. And David goes, I can't help you. And Rachel just buries her head in her arms and starts sobbing, hoping anyone, anybody would come along and make this decision for her and take care of this for her. She hopes her Cassie or Marco or Jake or anybody just don't make her do this. And she had hoped that when she looked up again, he would have run away, making it not her problem. But after a time, she looked up and saw him there waiting for her. He wasn't going to go away or make it easy. He told her very calmly now, just kill me. Rachel wiped her eyes, utterly exhausted, and told him, but I'm one of the good guys. And David said, then do the right thing. And she looked around one last time for Elemist, Cryak, anybody to tell her what to do, but there was no one. She caught a glimpse of herself in a broken shard of mirror and saw a little girl crying with a white rat at her feet. She saw what anybody would see, a little girl trying to do the right thing and having no idea what that was. And that's the end of the book. <laughs> oh God, all of the things. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there's a line at the end where she says, the enemy was completely at my mercy. And I, that's what, like, put me over the edge. Yeah. Oh, my God. That, those, that last scene with David was a masterpiece in writing. Like, holy shit. Yeah, I completely agree. It was... Oh my god, I was getting goosebumps just recapping yeah. it. Yeah. That that was like the only moment where David was like genuine, I guess. Like that was the only like good and decent thing he's ever done was just to accept that he was defeated and that he wasn't going back and like ugh. Yeah. It was I I think the moment where it's realized that he's being truthful and genuine is when she says, just disappear, just go and disappear. And he just kind of laughs. Like, you know, I'm not going to do yeah. that. That if you let me go, I'm going to keep ruining your shit. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, it's like on the one hand, it's like, you're still David, you're still disgusting and you're still like the worst for not giving Rachel any other choice. But when when she looked up and he was still there, like there's something really truly powerful in that moment. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like you expect him to to run off at some point, but the fact that he stayed there and he was committed it was like kind of weirdly sickly admirable. I don't know. Like he's such a coward, and he didn't want death. But now that he does, it's like I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying yeah. to say. I I know. I think I know exactly what you're trying to say because it's like he's he's the worst. Yeah. I hate him. Yeah. But that was the only thing he's ever done. That maybe not hate him. <laughs> yeah, it's like it 
it's almost like that should be his redemption. Yeah. But in the it it's not like um it feels like it should almost be a scene where the the enemy realizes at the end that what he's doing is wrong and helps the good guys, but all he did instead of that, it's a twisted version yeah. of it where instead he further took away something from Rachel by making her kill him. Yeah. And it was right after she had the revelation that she was one of the good guys, if only by association. That's why she has to keep the others innocent is so she can be seen as a good guy. But also she let that anger go and had that moment of purity. Mm-hmm. And then she has to go right back to that hatred to kill him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so it like in the end of the book, it's not really clear about whether or not she does kill him. Um, I think it's, I mean, they didn't straight up say it, but, but I think she it's... She had to have, right? It's very clear. Yeah, she killed him. Oh, my God. Oh, that's... Oh, I hate it, Alex. I hate it. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. Do you have any other thoughts, or can I ask my question? Ask your question. At the end, the scene with Cassie, was that the moment? No. Are you fucking kidding me? Really? <laughs> I'm not. Oh my I'm not god! Kidding you. That's not it. No. That is not it. Oh no! <laughs> like I got to that scene and I was like, okay, this has to be it. Like because it's not. Alex, like Alex has alluded in the past to like she hates it when Cassie like puts the onus on other people to like do the right thing and kill for her. Like that happened in the Jake book where where they they visit through his little brother. So this has to be mm-hmm. it, right? No. Oh my god, it's, Alex! It's something oh else. Oh no! <laughs> I wondered if you were going to think that oh. that was the moment. Oh my god. This has compromised me. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, I think in this moment, it didn't... I didn't appreciate that from Cassie. Like, I, I hate that she's doing that to Rachel, but this is not the moment. And I also understood that Rachel kind of took the onus onto herself to, yeah. that she was in that position, so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, well, that's upsetting, but, like, yeah, let's let's keep talking about this. Because, like, they sprinkle this, like, this thing with Cassie throughout the entire fucking book and I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that in her second nightmare, like, she was looking for Cassie to talk to and Cassie wasn't there and she never actually got to talk to her. Yeah. It was that. There was her first nightmare where Marco stopped her and Cassie was with Jake and the fact that she kept saying, like, oh, it was Cassie's plan to trap David but I had to do the dirty work. Um, mm-hmm. There's... The scene with Cryak where Cassie, Cassie was there in the cube and, or was it David? Somebody was telling her like, oh, like, they're, they're all going to be relieved when you're gone. And Cassie didn't say anything. Like, it wasn't like immediately obvious, like, if that was Cassie or if it was an illusion from Cryak. But the fact that Cassie yeah. didn't say anything to contradict him when she could have. Yeah. Like, oh my God, it was all just like her her insecurity about her relationship with Cassie just throughout the whole book. And it was so intense. And one of the things that I loved most about that was even though there is that insecurity throughout the whole book and she's doubting Cassie and doubting herself and doubting that when 
there's any moment where it comes down to do you choose to protect Cassie without hesitation she chose that she's like yes I will protect all of them yeah even though she doesn't think they would do the same for her right and even though she thinks that they might be more relieved when she's gone than upset yeah it's god it's so heartbreaking to see her perspective of how of what they think of her like she's such an outsider to them and like they've all done things that they're not proud of they've all crossed lines but like she seems to be in like a different league it's all it's almost like well i may be bad but at least i'm not as bad as rachel and seeing it from her perspective is just like brutal yeah oh my god it's almost like how brutal that scene was again in books like fucking three mm-hmm. where Tobias told Marco to look at me and hate me. And it's like, but Rachel's taken on the brunt of that from everybody that says like, look at me and how dark I am and you can hate me, but you need me. Yeah. And I need you. Yeah. And how brutal was it that I, even though it was a dream that Tobias was the one that said everybody else, like we all know where Marco's coming from. Nobody gets you. Yeah. That's so harsh. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ah. And just the fact that this whole book was just Rachel coming to terms with that. And still, in the end, like, you're so close to just, like, crossing that line. that, But you still have that moment where you're strong enough to realize that. And you pull back and you do the right thing anyway. Like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Rachel's amazing. (laughs) She she is. She is amazing. Oh my god. For sure. And I also thought that it was really interesting that this is how early it was brought up. What are you going to do when this all ends? Like, what's your place in this world going to be once you don't have this anymore? Yeah. Which has been brought up before, and now it's, like, getting more intense because we're getting near the end of it. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's it's a lot. It's a lot, and it's hard to kind of say more after this because the book was just so intense and so good that it's it's hard to kind of, like, build on it because it's, like, every time it's, like, you want to talk about something that Rachel did, it's, like, but it's all in this book. Like, she went through such a journey. Yeah. <sighs> oh, man. This book should have been called Gaslighting Rachel. <laughs> yeah. I know. But, I mean, at the end of the day, other than what we can infer from, I think, three instances of Cassie's reactions, like, it was all in her head. Like, we don't actually get the perspective of what Tobias really thinks or what Jake really thinks. Yeah, it's all perception. um, It's all perception. Yeah, and as as we go through, some of them feel more true to me than others. Like, Jake treating her coldly feels true to me. More so than Tobias being the one to tell her, like, nobody gets you. Okay. So, I I mean, I don't know. It's a lot. Uh, I, so, if I can uh, go off topic a little bit. Um, Please. I was not expecting David to come back in the way that he did. Um, I thought it was going to be, like, more, more, involve, more involving the other Animorphs. And, like, he was going to appear to all of them. And it was going to be another, like, big team battle against him, kind of like in his arc. But I super duper love that it was more one-on-one just with Rachel. Like, 
it just it's so much yeah. more impactful. And the fact that Krayak knew that the thing with David was one of Rachel's bigness, biggest weaknesses and that's how he was going to exploit her is just fucking genius. And you know what? That really, that, um, sorry, that just brought together two points for me that you have made where what did you think of when uh, Tobias has to face his big nemesis? It's all about him having those one-on-one battles, but then the team gathers around him to support him. And with Rachel, she had that one-on-one battle, and she just took care of it herself, basically. Yeah. I, it's kind of like, I almost kind of feel like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy a bit. Like, they, like, the team knows Mm -hmm. that she will take on things that, like, by herself, and take on things that they don't want to. And, like, so I kind of feel like they don't feel like they need to support her. But I think if they did mm-hmm. support her, it would be it would be better, you know? Yeah. But because, like, you know, there's kind of this mutual thing of, like, Rachel can take it on herself. Like, Rachel feels that way about herself, and they feel that way about her. She just does it. And, like, I'm not, I'm not yeah. putting the blame on her. I'm just saying that, like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any blame to be had. I think I just, things like this make me just marvel at how strong she mm-hmm. is. And that's... I think one of the things that I really admire about her character is how she has those moments of self-doubt and even pitying almost like, you know, why why is it always me in this scenario? Why do I have to be the one to do this? But it doesn't mean she ever shies away from that responsibility. Yeah. And I love that about her. Yeah. Even though it's so detrimental sometimes. Yeah. <sighs> and it's... It's kind of sad too, right? Because like because um, she's willing to take all of this on and protect her friends, it's and it's just destroying her in a way that kind of is detrimental to her relationship with her friends. Like it's you know if they truly do see her as you know like a loose cannon and, and you know a danger to the team, it's kind of because mm-hmm. they sort of inadvertently made her that way. Yeah, and she realizes it like this she she laid it out black and white in this book like i am the loose cannon i am the enforcer and if i ever broke away from this group of people that i have done this thing to allow them to be innocent like that i would be the bad guy it's almost like the person that drops the the bomb you know the atomic bomb yeah if she doesn't ally with the winner and the good guys then she's lost basically a criminal Yeah. And, okay, can I, this is not strictly related to this, but can I make a point that's kind of one of the broader discussion points in the series? So the question, what would she do after all of this is over? I feel like it's so clearly answered in this book. Like, she's not lost. In that moment where she had to, she didn't want to let her anger and rage go. But she could, and she broke out, and she felt free again because she didn't have that hate and that anger. And I think it's just so clearly an example of, like, she can recover from this. As mm-hmm. much as everybody keeps pushing it on her that she's bloodthirsty and she's the the warmonger, there's more to her even though people aren't seeing it, but she knows it. Yeah. I just think that's important to consider and to hold on to. Yeah. Ugh. 
so complex. I love it. Me too. God, this was just such a good book. It really was. Let's talk through character rating. It's going to be very hard, but let's do it because right. I think it'll bring up some good points. So, Jake. So, like, the reason it's going to be hard is because, like... They're dream Jakes. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're hypotheticals. But based solely on, you know, what we have to work with, I guess we'll work off of that. Okay. How do we rate dream Jake? Um, again, this is hard. What do you think? Um, see that I think it's really hard because he's really only used in this book as a foil to Rachel Yeah. as a leader and her contemplation. So like, it's kind of like he's just used as that, that mirror. So it, I mean, I kind of just want to like give him a three and move on. Like he was yeah. fine, but he yeah. wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't too unbelievable. He wasn't unbelievable. Yeah. He wasn't bad. He also wasn't great. He wasn't really anything. So like just an average three moving along. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, what do we think of Tobias? Dream Tobias. Sorry. Dream Tobias. Dream Tobias who told her she's a freak basically. <laughs> In a, yeah. Uh, not super nice thing to say to your girlfriend. Um. No. And that conversation started out like so much like, oh my God. Rachel and Tobias are finally going to have like a really adult conversation, which is something that that Jake and Cassie are really good at, but like is kind of lacking between Rachel and Tobias because neither of them are really good communicators. And so it was like, oh, good. We're finally going to see like a good conversation between them where they have like adult talks. But then like, then he just ended up being like, oh, by the way, everybody thinks you're weird. Bye bye. (laughs) Yeah. Like you expect the the support to be there kind of like, I expected him to be nicer to her, you know? Yeah. And I mean, again, it's dream Tobias. So this is all Rachel's worst fears, kind of. But like, you know. Give them all threes. I'm probably going to wind up doing that. But then um, next comes real Cassie, right? Or no, we'll do Axe first. Let's do Axe first. Let's not switch to the new rotation (laughs) of the book. Let's keep going how we've always done it. What about Axe, who's dunked on, but a very good communicator, apparently? Yeah, I, I mean, I thought Axe was fine. Like, he wasn't really in the book, but, you know, he, he tried to talk to her. He tried to be like, hey, what's what's on your mind? And, yeah, you know, he shot her a few skeptical looks, but, I mean, he didn't do anything totally outrageous. He didn't. And I think that, like, he was, again, not that he was in the book much, so it's kind of hard to judge. But, like, I think that's relatively true to Axe because he and Rachel, like, he's kind of nervous around Rachel, so I can see why he wouldn't push her even though he keeps offering like hey i'm here just yeah. if you want to talk so yeah. i mean i liked that <sighs> i mean three i don't know i give him a four because 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 he's your boy that makes sense he's my, he is my boy makes sense all right let's talk about real cassie oh no i don't know i didn't feel good about any of it <laughs> like so I'm conflicted. I I kind of, I think the fact that Cassie didn't really support Rachel as much as she could have, especially mm-hmm. considering they're best friends. Um, like, I don't like it as, like, a principle, because I think you should support your friends. But also, yeah. I like, from a narrative perspective, I think it complicates everything, and I like it from a narrative perspective. Mm-hmm. I don't endorse it, but it makes for a good story. <laughs> yeah. 
So I'm I'm conflicted on that. So I will say three. Okay. I'm gonna maybe blow your mind a little right now and give her a five. But let Whoa. me tell you why. <laughs> let me tell you why though. It's okay. actually not from much of anything that Cassie did. It was from Rachel is why I'm giving her a five because we went on that journey with Rachel where she came to terms with the fact that everything she was doing, she was doing for her friends. And the scene where she's saying to Cassie, I don't know if I have the strength to take David back to the island, but are you going to do it? And Cassie says no. And it's, it's almost like that. It's almost the push-pull of reading the whole series as an adult, where Cassie is like that very innocent children's, you know, she still thinks things can be good. She still thinks things can be peaceful. And Rachel is very realistically saying things are very bad. And you, you haven't seen the darkest parts of what we're doing. Like you have, but maybe you haven't fully comprehended like just how bad things are yet. But still she's like, I want to protect my friend from that if I can. Yeah. And I just, I love that Rachel kind of, I loved and I hated that Rachel took that upon herself and that she still, even in this darkest moment, as far as she's going, still loves her friend that much that she's like, loves all of her friends that much. And I just mm-hmm. love that Cassie was the direct foil for that. And like, I I just want to give her a five because of Rachel's love for her more than anything she did in the book. I just, Aww. I love that Rachel loves her that much. Oh, So that's why. It's not because anything Cassie did. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's not a ranking I, I expected. But it's it's our podcast. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> that's true. It's all arbitrary. Okay, Marco. Uh, Dream Marco. Dream Marco. Dream Marco. Shut up, Jeff. <laughs> what? <laughs> just gonna trash talk Jeff the whole time. I oh, I no. fucking loved that he was the one that pulled her away and like i love that he was the one that was begging her like morph yeah. out don't die morph out yeah and he was like on the verge of tears and uh, that gave me a lot of feelings it this was the moment where i'm like okay i can kind of see it but like well yeah because like you know marco fucking you know, he's he's very realistic. Like, we all pride him in being like, you're the analytical one. So if you see that, like, you know that Rachel would rather die than, than mm-hmm. be wrong in this moment, basically. So you know she's going to do this. But the fact that he's still, like, this little boy is just like, no, don't, like, morph out. It, it reminded me of, like, that moment where he saves his dad in, in his, his book a couple books ago. Like, mm-hmm. he's like, I know I should just let this happen, but I can't. Mm-hmm. So I fucking loved that. I did too. I, God, that was so good. Yeah. It was so good. And especially because he's the one that, like, can see so clearly all of these interactions. And, like, I know it's Dream Marco, so, like, it's it's not exactly him. But, like, he's the one that can see those interactions so clearly. And, like, he just... He just knew what was going on in her head. And I I love that, like, he used that kind of, like, dark side of himself to understand and then try to, like, prevent Rachel from going over that edge. That was just so good. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's so little of Marco in this book, but, it like, the moments we did have with him said so much. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. He was the 
best version of Marco that he could be without being completely untrue to his character. Well, okay, and, like, going back to when he was begging Rachel not to die, um, the fact that, like, she dreamed that up, Mm -hmm. like, what does that mean, you know? It just means that she knows. She knows what's up. (laughs) She knows what Jeff's thinking. (laughs) (laughs) She uh, reached into Jeff's head and pulled out... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. God. Yeah, I'll give him a five. Yeah, me too. I'm ranking him higher than Axie Boy. What's happening? What is happening? <laughs> um. So, last one. Rachel. Obviously a fucking five. Jesus fucking, five. fucking Christ, I would give her 5,000. Five. Oh, I, I typed six on accident. Freudian slip there. <laughs> Fuck it. Leave it. Six as it is. We're six. breaking the rating scales today. It's to make up for all those terrible scores I gave her in the starfish and the cheetah book. And the Helmicron book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my, it's like, how the fuck? You look at the past three Rachel books, and then this, and you're just like, how, how could you do me like this? Yeah. Oh my god, this is one of, like, I, probably, I mean, it's not fair to say one of my favorites, but god, it is up there. It is way up there. Like, and then this came from just before this, the last Rachel book, was fucking rabies fighting inside, like, organs? (laughs) What? Ugh. God. That book was bad. Oh, god, I love this book so much. It's very good. It's very good. And it just, like, it, I don't want to get into any sort of, like, setting you up for something or any sort of spoiler territory, but this has just set a stage where things will just beautifully play out on it. Like, this was the perfect beginning to a later story arc that, like, is just going to play out so well because of the way this happened. Nice. And I love that. So... We Those are my it. thoughts. We did love it. it. I'm gonna look at the next book cover. <laughs> You're gonna love it. Tobias. <gasps> it's a chipper! It is a chipper! It's a chipper! Oh no, I'm so excited and scared. It's gonna be fine. It's not is gonna it? be fine. It's the last few books. It's not fine at all. Oh, Everything's no. shit. <laughs> oh, it's a chippered. But it is a chippered! I'm so excited. They're my favorite dogs. Yes. Cool. I like it. All right. Let's talk to the people now. The people? If you would like the people. The peebles. If you would like to shoot. No, not the peepus room. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. If you would like to shoot us an email about the peepus room, you may do that at (laughs) anonymous at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Animorse Anonymous or our super secret, super awesome group, which is the Andalite Bandalites, which is facebook.com slash group slash Animorse Anonymous. You can find us on Instaslam at Animorse Anonymous. And now you can find us on Twitter because I have gone mad with power and taken it over at Animorse Anon. And Alex is much better at the Twitter than I am, because I'm scared of it now. I'm mad with power. I have been tweeting everybody. I've added all of you, basically. (laughs) Basically, if anybody's like, what's up? I've added them, so you're welcome. I'm mad with power. I'm so sorry. It's going to go terribly wrong for me. Anyways, 
find our podcast on other podcast sites such as Spotify, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Podcast Republic, Last FM. I don't know. I Heart Radio? I Heart Radio. Yeah, that's the one. I don't think we're on Last FM. I think I lied to you. I'm so sorry. Anyway, it's, we're around. Okay. Google us. Google us and tell me about your comic book. I have a webcomic. It is called Beside You. Please go read it at B-S-I-D-E-Y-O-U-Comic.com. Please do. It's very good. And you just started chapter three. I did. Yay! It's coming. I'm so excited. Um, If you like Superboy comics, then sometimes I'm an accidental host of a show called Cadmus to Crisis, which is a Superboy podcast that we host with somebody named David, but this David is really good and nice and we like him. And I'm so sorry, David, for every time we said your name during this episode and said disparaging things about you. You're He's my actually, favorite David. You're my favorite David. You're super nice. You're very tall. So that's yes. good. <laughs> I think. Anyways, not the point. Cad Mr. Crisis. I'm on it sometimes, but most of the time it's just people that actually know things about Superboy and what they're talking about, which is much better than anything I have to say on that show. Anyways. Superb oi. Superb oi. Okay. Well, I guess we should leave since we're all in our own glass cases of emotion at the end of this episode. <laughs> I'm in a glass case of emotion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. Let's be like rats and scuttle out of here. To death. No. To death. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.